0: Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,415. Uh, We'll also have the words on the screen for you. Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. REND YOUR HEARTS AND NOT YOUR GARMENTS. RETURN TO THE LORD YOUR GOD, FOR HE IS GRACIOUS AND COMPASSIONATE, SLOW TO ANGER AND ABOUNDING IN LOVE, AND HE RELENTS FROM SENDING CALAMITY. WHO KNOWS, HE MAY TURN AND HAVE PITY AND LEAVE BEHIND A BLESSING, GRAIN OFFERINGS AND DRINK OFFERINGS FOR THE LORD YOUR GOD. BLOW THE TRUMPET IN ZION, DECLARE A HOLY FAST, CALL A SACRED ASSEMBLY. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations, Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it return to the Lord with all their heart. On September 16th, 2001, churches in America were packed. We had all just experienced a a national tragedy that that shocked us to the core. 9-11 was a a wake-up call to many. And in our shock, people began asking some tough questions. Questions about life. Questions about mortality. Questions about God. And it was in that moment that these people came to church hoping to find answers. But that's all it was a moment, a brief sliver in time when when, when people felt scared and looked to the only one who could who could truly help them. And yet, once they felt secure again, once they knew that their lives were not in immediate danger, their, their church going ways dropped off once more. Their return to the Lord was short lived. How can we know if someone has truly repented? What does what a genuine return to God look like? Today we have come to this section of Scripture that, that, that speaks to a true repentance, a true return to the Lord. If you recall, we we have been going through this short but powerful book of Joel, and and Joel began by giving a a warning about a locust infestation that would devastate the land. In fact, it would be so bad that, that every person would feel its effect. And so Joel directed the people to mourn. They were to wail. They were to weep. For the day of the Lord was near, and it would be a day of ruin. But this prophet wasn't finished with just one warning. No, for for he gave a a second where he, he described this invading horde that would make desolate the land before them. And the command was no longer to mourn, but to tremble. For this army would be powerful indeed. In fact, it would be so strong that it could not be defeated. You see, at his head would be this mighty general, thundering as he would lead the charge. He would make the earth shake and the stars fall from the sky. He would be dreadful to behold, for none could endure his presence. This general was none other than Yahweh himself. God would be the one to bring this curse upon his people. And there would be no defense that could with, withstand him. So far this in this book of Joel, things have been grim. Things have been dark. We've been commanded to mourn. We have been ordered to tremble. And yet today we see a, a change in the tone of this book. A light has entered this darkened picture, bringing with it hope for tomorrow. As we see a a new command, a calling, if you will, a calling to return to the Lord. And it is in such a return that the author speaks of the mercy of God and his relenting ways. Now, if one were to break down this passage, they would see that it, that it fits nicely into three sections. First, in, in verses 12 through 13, the first half of 13, we find this command to return to the Lord. And then in, in verse 13b and verse 14, we are given the reason for such a return. And then finally, in verses 15 through 17, we are given instruction on how to return. So we have the command, followed by a reason for that command, and then direction on how to obey that command. It's pretty straightforward. But, but having an outline isn't enough to give us the full context. To, to truly understand what Joel is speaking about, we must also understand the framework in, into which he is speaking too. He was writing to a covenant people, a a nation who had pledged an oath to the Lord their God. Through Moses, God had given to them his law, and they were to be obedient to that law in order to receive God's blessings. And yet, if if they strayed from his commands, then God would send down upon them specific curses, curses that would let them know that they had wandered from the path. For instance, in Deuteronomy 28, verses 38 through 40, we read about a curse upon their land. This is what it says. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. Sound familiar? I mean, this describes to a T the warnings that we read about thus far in Joel. These swarms of, of locusts were going to ravage through their land. And according to Deuteronomy 28, this was brought about because Israel had not been obedient to the covenant that they had agreed to. They had left their God to follow their own whims, their own desires. And so the curse of the Lord was now upon them. Joel knew this, and the people knew this. They knew that Moses had prophesied years ago of these things. That this infestation that had devastated their land was a result of their own failure as a covenant people. And yet, God did not leave them without any hope. For for if the people would return to the Lord, he had also promised to restore them. And this is what we read about in our first scripture reading, is it not? Look again at Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. When all the blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Moses had taught the people that the Lord has compassion, that he will relent, that he will restore when the people return to him. And this is exactly what we are reading about in our passage for today. So let's, let's jump in, starting with verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with with fasting and, and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your art not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. As you look at these verses, you should notice a shift in the tone of this book. Whereas before everything was dark and grim, as the God of this people had set his face against them, here we see this urgent plea as God speaks to his people in the first person. No longer is he this cold and and distant God, but he has drawn near to his people so that they might hear his voice directly. And what does he say? Return to me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart. This is a call to repentance. Often in Christian circles, re- repentance is looked at as something that we must do in our own strength that if we only had enough fortitude and and a strong enough will then we could turn away from our sins and turn back to God but with such thinking we leave God out of the equation altogether this is not what we see in Joel no God is the one who initiates this process He doesn't wait for his people to return to him. Instead, he begins that that path of repentance by reaching out. He will be that spark that will ignite his people's return. And so he calls out to them, return to me with all your heart. This calling that God has put forth is is a challenge to his people For them to look inward. For he says, rend your heart and not your garments. A typical posture of repentance during the time of Joel and really during all biblical times was was for one to tear their clothing. And this was an, an outward sign demonstrating one's inward remorse. But God wasn't looking for a show He doesn't care for a person's outward expression if there is no inward change. These practices that he sets forth of of fasting and weeping and mourning, they must come from an inward reflection and a genuine sorrow over one's sins. When I think back to 9-11, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of confessing of sins. Yes, people had returned to church asking, asking the questions, why did this happen and what are we to do? But the answers that, that most came away with was that it was the terrorists' fault. And we must do a better job defending our nation. Hardly anybody saw what happened that day as a day of the Lord. As a day when, when, when God allowed such a tragedy in order to wake us from our slumber. And thus, there was, there was no inward reflection. No, no digging down deep in order to understand how we have strayed from God's path. Instead, everything was external. They were to blame, not us. I wonder if today will be any different. Sure, we don't have any terrorists to blame for this pandemic, but, but that doesn't mean that we haven't tried. I mean, just look at the political landscape. No matter which side of the aisle that, that we sit upon, we have vilified the opposition for how they've handled this. How many of you can't stand our current president? What about our governor? Perhaps you've even said to yourself that that they are responsible for the deaths of thousands such attitudes come from thinking externally and not from deep internal reflection. And then there's our tendency to put our hope in some man-made solution. As if we have the power to get ourselves out of this. With 9-11, we chose to go to war on terror. Terror. Today, we, we look to face masks and social distancing and, and vaccines. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing those things. Perhaps we should. But what I am saying is that we have a tendency to turn to the strength of men before we turn to the strength of God. Dear friends, when we do these things, when we, when we blame politicians and when we put our hope in man-made solutions then we no longer see this as a day of the Lord or as an opportunity to return to him. For we are no longer focused on what God is trying to teach us. What is it that we need to repent of? How have we as a a people turned our backs upon God? Perhaps these these masks that, that are covering our mouths are God's way of muzzling our lying and blasphemous lips. Maybe these six feet of social distancing is how God is showing us the lack of closeness that we have with one another. Could it be that these vaccines that we are shooting into our bodies are God's way of reminding us that we are frail, that we are mortal, and that every breath that we inhale is a gift from God that we have taken taken for granted. Perhaps our empty pews, our, our lack of church attendance is a demonstration of how we have disconnected from the Lord. What are the idols that are in your life? How have you turned away from him? God is calling upon his people to return. But why should we return? What reason do we have to go back to this God that has cursed us? Look at, look at verses 13 and 14. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings from the Lord your God. The attention of our book is no longer upon the locusts or the havoc that they've caused. Rather, it is upon the character of our glorious and merciful God. And there are five traits that are lauded God is gracious. God is compassionate. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. And finally, God is relenting in his judgment. Think about these characteristics and how how diametrically opposed they seem to this wrathful and unrelenting God that we saw earlier in the book of Joel. Grace. Compassion. Slow to anger, abounding in love, relenting. Doesn't this not sound like a different God? But he's not a different God. No. He can bring down his severe judgment while at the same time be overflowing with his love for his people. To our, to our finite minds, it's, it's hard for us to comprehend how the Lord can hold in all these characteristics within himself simultaneously. And yet he does. That's, that's who he is. And it is the reason that the people should return to him. You see, repentance is not to be solely dependent upon who we are as sinful people, but the primary basis for returning to God should be on his character, who he is. Does this God who we worship have the qualities that make him worthy of returning to him? Absolutely. In fact, he is the only one who has such qualities. To not return to him would be foolishness. And who knows, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. You see, God is, he's not required to show us any mercy. He would have been perfectly just in letting his people suffer from the locusts until they all died of starvation. For the wages of sin is death. And yet because they are his people, because they are his children, When they return to him, he will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them, even though he doesn't need to. That's who this God is. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And the good news is that he hasn't changed. Even today he is calling for his children to repent, to turn from their wicked ways and to come back to him. After all, this is why he sent his son to die for our sins, so that his justice could be fulfilled upon the cross and that his mercy could be shown to you, to be shown to me. The calling has not changed. Turn away from your sins and return to him. And who knows, he may, have, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. And what is this blessing? Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. If you recall from chapter 1, it was the priests who were to mourn because the grain offerings and the drink offerings had been cut off from the house of the Lord. Because of these locusts, the way the people worshipped, their their connection to God had been severed. For they could no longer bring the offerings that were required of them. But now here in chapter 2, God would provide a way back. A way back into fellowship with him. If his people would return With all their heart. Perhaps that is a blessing that God will give to us if we repent. Perhaps He will remove our masks and take away the tape that is on our pews. Perhaps He will no longer have to worship at home over some silly screen. Perhaps He will return to us our grain offerings and our drink offerings. But how are we to return? What does repentance look like? Look at verses 15 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Blow the trumpet. We have heard that before as well. Earlier it was the sound of warning. It was a sound of fear. It was a sound of dread. For an invading army was heading their way. And this trumpet was a call to run. was a call to hide. But this trumpet, this is a different sound. For this trumpet blast speaks not of an attacking army. Rather, it is a call to gather. It is a sound of hope. But who is to come? Who is to show up to this sacred assembly? Joel says to gather both the elders and the children, even those nursing at their mother's breasts. In other words, all are to come. Let not your age be a, be a restriction. And then he talks about the bridegroom and the and his bride leaving their chambers. Those who were about to be married, they should come as well. Let let them leave behind the the plans that they had set forth and gather with their people. In other words, don't let the busyness of life, even on those special occasions, prevent you from joining with God's people. And lastly, he mentions the priests, those who are to be the, the mediators between God and man. They should be there as well, for they were to lead the people in this return to the Lord. Dear friends, do you see it? Every person was to gather. This sacred assembly was to be their top priority. As as the people of God, they were to join with one another as if they were one. But why were they gathering? In order to repent. Too often we treat the Christian faith as an individualistic practice. There is me and my God and I need no one else. This is why so many people no longer attend on Sunday mornings. And I'm talking before COVID. It's why we hear statements such as nature is my church. Or I feel closer to God when I'm fishing. This is a sentiment of many who don't understand that our worship of God is amplified when we come together as a body. God didn't design us to be lone rangers. We we need one another more than we understand. And this is especially true in, in Days of return when we come to God and seek forgiveness and mercy, when we ask God to change our hearts. Listen, repentance shouldn't be a solo endeavor. We are to be iron sharpening iron. We are to rebuke. We are to reprove. We are to comfort. We are to mend. We are to encourage one another with the word of God. We are to confess our sins to one another. And then, then we are to point one another to the forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. But if we never gather, how can we do that? Not only were these people to gather, but they were to declare a holy fast as well. Now it may seem strange To call a fast when food was already scarce. I mean, haven't they already been fasting? In a sense, yes they have. But a holy fast has a purpose behind it. For it is a a tangible way that a person can focus their hearts. They were to go go without in order to understand that, that God is their first necessity. And it was in this way, in their, in their fasting, that their idols would be revealed. All those things that they had placed ahead of God. In this pandemic, we have talked a lot about essential workers. Those who are needed to provide the necessities of life. Doctors and nurses, police officers and firefighters, grocers. For we need our medicine. We, we need our security, and we need our sustenance. And yet, it is our need for God that, that trumps all those things. And if we are not careful, these, these other essentials can become idols to us. Let me ask you, is Jesus the, the most essential person in your life? Do you prioritize your worship of Him over everything else? Because if you don't, then you need to repent. So we are to gather, and we are to fast, and lastly, we are to weep. We are to cry out to the Lord, spare your people. We are to plead for his grace and for his forgiveness over the wickedness that is in our own hearts. We are to mourn over our sins and over the state of the world that has been brought about because of the evil that is within us. And we are to beg for God's mercy. And what what is the argument that we are to give to God for, for such mercy, to receive that mercy? What does Joel say? Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The reason for God to show his mercy is for his own glory. You see, even, even though these people had, had had sinned against him, they were still his people, they were his chosen ones. Unless the nations think think that he was was too weak of a God or or too calloused of a God. The people were to ask for restoration in order to demonstrate how mighty and how good their God really is. And perhaps then the surrounding nations would, would be able to see that mercy and turn to him as well. How would a repentant church today have an impact on the world around us? What would be the witness if if millions of Christians mourned over their sins? What would it look like if God's people returned to the Lord with all their heart? Here's what you need to understand. The day of the Lord, it, it is an opportunity to have a day of return. Let what we are going through right now not be like 9-11. Let us seek a true repentance. Let it be a, a statement to the world around us that God is seated on his throne and he is ready to pour out his mercy. Rend your heart and not your garments and return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity let us pray Father we come to you now as a a broken people We, we struggle to make you our all in all Help us to repent. Help us to rend our hearts and return to you. For you are worthy of our return. For you are gracious and you are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. And you do relent from sending calamity. And it's through your Son who who died for our sins that that you grant us your mercy. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit that we might seek after you with all our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.